hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the stupid answer. No. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Zach. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hello, and welcome to episode 354 of the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your host. Matthew Zachary, a proud 19-year young adult cancer survivor, broadcasting right now from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest support network for the young adults affected by cancer online at stupidcancer.org. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners. Never miss an episode by signing up for our newsletter and subscribing to the free podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Blog Talk Radio. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. This episode, we're going to be talking with Marlena Ortiz, a young adult breast cancer survivor who founded an organization called Beating Cancer in Heels, a boutique nonprofit organization whose mission is to empower young women diagnosed with cancer. And a survivor spotlight on cartoonist and young adult colorectal cancer patient, Matthew Paul Muhoder. going to be a good show. Hello, my team. Hello, our fearless leader. Happy 4th of July. Hello. How old is this country now? Pretty old. Over 200. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I guess so. Oh, your your mic's going on. We don't like Noel. See, you yeah. got the you got the hiss. So, yeah, that's how special it's you are. Much worse yeah. Hello, Sean. Hi. What are you up to? Not much. Just, I don't know if you uh, saw there was a drone footage over the Macy's fireworks parade. I was there. No, no, there was a drone, like navigating through the fireworks as they were exploding by the bridge. Didn't they do that last year? No, I well, I didn't see it last year, but it, then it's new to it's you. It's possible. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't see it. Yeah. I, I was just saying I was there. That was pretty amazing. It. Yeah. Cool. So I I've been there once. The crowds just they drive me crazy. It's nuts. I had the fortune of someone who works for the um operations office at Brooklyn Bridge Park. So we had a family and friends section. Oh goodness. Yeah. Well, look at you, La Da. It was awesome. Mal, how Hello. you doing? Just dandy. What'd you do this weekend? Uh you know, just hung out with some family, got a small makeover, all the fun stuff. Oh, a small ma- and your hair. I gotta, I gotta, yes. I'm... It all is gone. Well, most uh, of it. <laughs> Do you donate at this point, or is it just like you cut it off and that's it? I actually cut it so that I could start to grow it out to donate it. Um, oh. Because I was- Wait, what? I was colored, so they oh. don't accept colored hair. Oh. Uh, so now I'm at a point where it will grow out and I can- Ah. Grow it for periods of time, okay. then chop it off every few years, as I as I typically do. Very nice, very nice. Kenny, you uh, picked up the road trip car for the uh, for Warp Tour. I did. Uh, when you will leave be, uh, Friday. Wow. Um, if you gave me more advance warning, I could pull up the agenda. <laughs> we'll be in uh, seven stops in the Northeast, uh, <coughs> adding to the six that we hit last year. Uh, we had a great time last summer talking to the kids. As it were. The crazy kids. And uh, we're looking forward to a whole bunch of stops and a couple long days out under a black tent in the boiling heat. Won't be that hot, will it? Uh, it no, it, sometimes there's a wind. And then sometimes there's a lot of wind where you have to hang yeah. from the tent to keep it on the ground. Exactly, exactly. And Noel here, week three. 
Yeah. Starting week three. four. No, is it, almost a month. Yeah, we haven't voted him yeah. off the island yet. Yeah, he's still in the island. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty impressive. I'm feeling nervous. Yeah, <laughs> you've made it this far. It's good. It's good. Um, we have some. Uh, by the time you will be listening to this episode, the season two premiere of Chasing Life will have aired. Yay! Um, Leo and Dom are engaged, and all sorts of fabulous drama. Who? <laughs> Wait, who's engaged? I'm sorry, April and Dom. What did I say, Leo and Dom? No, actually, it's. April and, and Leo. Leo. April and Leo yes. are engaged, and Dom is God is where. Too, too many yeah. triangles I going was, on. I was following the- yeah, uh, converging this, politics. I was converging this, the Supreme Court uh, yeah. ruling. You were shipping the wrong people. <laughs> you just gave away the next season. <laughs> right, season three, shot to hell. Yeah, it's a really big deal. We've been looking forward to this. We were, really, we were here the moment they announced that they were going to have a season two, and here it is. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, I'm really excited too. They, um, they've been keeping it pretty tight-lipped about what's going to happen no, in season two. It, I really did say Dom and Leo, didn't I? You did. Yes. Yeah, I meant to say April. Yeah, okay. wonderful, wonderful. And on that note, anyway, so um, uh, we are also proud to release the official video, the highlight reel from CancerCon in Denver. Have you spring. seen the unofficial one? Well, the unofficial one is the one that's been on the website. I was being facetious. Oh, well, nice try. That was the one we played at the conference. It was uh, the unofficial one. And yes. now the official one uh, is released to the universe at cancercon.org or all of our social channels. We haven't, we haven't tweeted it yet, but it'll be tweeted soon. But yeah, very proud of it. It's taken a different tone this year. What do you guys think of it? It's awesome. It's good stuff. Makes it's, me feel things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's an, it's an emotional ride. No, it's different this year. I'm, I'm really impressed with the direction that John Sabi, our videographer guy, went with it. it the, the last couple of years have been very sort of punchy and hard-hitting and irreverent and hip-hop and Macklemore and, you know, We Are Young. What's that song? Don't even. Yeah. <laughs> you don't go there anymore. I, already, I now have it stuck in my head. Yeah. You said those words. Yeah. Oh, no. Anyway. But, yeah, check it out. CancerCon.org. And um, that's pretty much what's going on. I'm that's about it. <laughs> Let's start the show. In our spotlight on this show, Matthew Paul Muhorter is the artist and creator of Cancer Owl, a funny, raw, and honest webcomic where he depicts life with cancer by drawing himself as an owl. He's still undergoing treatment and started posting comics a month ago, which can be seen at cancerowl.com. Please welcome to the stupid cancer show, Matthew Paul Muhorter. Matt, welcome. Hey, nice, nice to be here. I gotta say, we we don't get a lot of guests who are actually in active treatment right now. So it's I, it would be interesting to hear your, your your perspective of what is it like to be in active treatment in 2015 to begin with. But before we get to that, uh, colorectal cancer never anything fun with that. Um, no, no, yeah, it's a bit of a pain in the butt. I mean, sorry <laughs> time, but, yeah. so the guy's funny. He thinks he's funny. Okay, so. <laughs> All right, so let's go back to, because we, we've done a lot of shows on colorectal cancer, had a lot of people on the show who faced it or battling it, um, and typically, I feel like I could tell most people's stories where someone gets diagnosed, oh, it's an, it's an ulcer, come back in six months, or you might have IBS, go take some Pepto-Bismol, and by the time something really bad happens, it's too late. Does that sound familiar, or am I making that up? Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's very very common. In fact, um, I actually my my surgeon uh, who took care of me, she said that um, people under forty who um, she deals with, and uh, she says eight out of ten of all of them end up with stage three or four um, colorectal cancer by the time she works on them. Um, I was one of the rare ones to be a stage two, um, an early stage two. She said I was like basically two out of ten that shows up basically at her office with, you know, an early stage. But most of the time, almost always, she gets a late stage um, person under 40. So what's the treatment? put it off, yeah. Well, that's the whole point. Like, the, we're, A, we're invincible. Uh, B, some of us don't even want to know what's wrong with us. And, and C, when we get to primary care, they're dismissive. So you have to figure out how to pick your battles, I guess. That's absolutely it. In fact, when I went to my... Um, when I went to my uh, 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 physician, like regular physician, he's like, oh, yeah, you got classic colitis. And then later on, I talked with the uh, oncologist, radiation oncologist. I basically told him what the doctor said. And the radiation oncologist, he's like, well, he laughed. He's like, no, he, 
You sound like you got, you know, textbook uh, rectal cancer is what it sounds like. You know, it's just, it's just interesting, the perspective. But the, uh, the my, my primary physician was just like, yeah, you know, you're Scandinavian and I'm, I'm really Scandinavian looking. And so he's like, you know, you fair skinned people here. And, you know, take dairy out of your diet and take these different things out of your diet. And he said, I'm still going to get you a colonoscopy. But he put it off for almost three months. He wow. said, because I was bottom of the list because, it, like, colonoscopies are reserved for people suspected of cancer. So I wasn't even suspected um, after, like, the bleeding. But I had dealt with bleeding on almost a daily basis for six-plus months. See, that's the other conversation we have in our world here is it's not are, – are we to blame primary care – for not considering cancer when it is, in fact, statistically incredibly rare. But at the same time, if someone is not 80 and they're going to the doctor consistently for the same problem, there's probably something different about that patient. Yeah, I, I would I would say so. I, you know, and I only saw him once, you know, and I went in and, and, and on my part, you know, I held off for a little while. I mean, being uh, 35, I was a new dad. And I think this is the other part of it, too, is because I would, you know, there is a part of me I'd like to be like, come on, you know, doc, I wish you would have ushered me in quicker to the colonoscopy once he, you know, saw rectal bleeding, you know. But he, he was an older doctor. He's been around for a long time. I live in a small town. He's kind of like, he's one of those guys anyone would call doc, you know. But um, so I, I just didn't really worry either, though, at the same time, you know, for a little while. It's like I have family history of colitis as well and, and IBS and all that. So, you know, I told him that and he just kind of went with that, even though I also had history of uh, my grandfather dying of colon cancer. So it's it's kind of it's kind of a hard thing because I it is easy to want to kind of blame the doctor. But at the same time, I went a lo- I went maybe longer than I should have. But again, I was afraid, you know talking to my wife about it and burdening my family and all that. But I'm, I'm right. glad I pushed ahead and got it done as soon as I could. Well, not to overlook a major milestone in your life that isn't in your bio, but you just happened to say that you became a new dad. Congratulations. Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> so um, how old is your child? She is um, two and a half years old. Wow. And- yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, she's amazing. She's, <laughs> yeah, she's 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 one of the things that keeps me absolutely in a positive mood most of the time. She's she's incredible, but yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's a major milestone, and and uh, and yeah, I had a, I had another friend who actually had stage four brain cancer, and and he his daughter and my daughter are the same age, and we both had one you know our first kid like basically right around the same time, and and yeah, I think that's what also helped have me put off getting getting seen is because maybe there's a part of me I was kind of afraid of what if it is cancer because right. my best friend he you know he had you know it's like the idea of having cancer and having like a kid so young that if you were to die soon you know <laughs> and they might not even remember you I mean it's that's something is it's easy to want to put out of your mind well that speaks so perfectly to why we exist as an organization is that this kind of conversation would not happen if you were 75 years old. Yeah. Yeah, not at all. Mm-mm. So yeah, it's, yeah, I've, I feel like I face way different challenges than, than the old, the older people that I see in the, in the, you know, the hope office with me. What is the um, current therapy for stage two colorectal cancer? Well, I, I actually have, um, they, they want to go gorilla style on me. And what I mean by that is like gorilla tactic. They were like, okay, you're young, you're strong. You know, I found out I ran long distance and everything else, and I eat really well. You know, I eat mostly plant-based and everything. And, and they're just like, you got health. Everything else checked out excellent. Like my health, other than cancer, checked out amazing. So they're just like, we're going to hit you with everything we got, like early, fast. And so they started me out on both chemo and radiation together. They, um, they then, uh, and they did 25 rounds of chemo. Um, radiation. Um, yeah, on the same days, I, I took chemotherapy pills, by the way, Zolota. Um, and then uh, I had weekends off, and they, we did this for, you know, for a month. And then um, after that, I'm sorry, uh, two months. And um, then I took a break. Then they did a, a resection on me. Um, gave me, a, I have a, I have a ileostomy right now, so I have a bag. And uh, I'm going to have that reverse coming up in the fall. 
and in the um, <clears throat> and in the meantime, right now I'm I'm taking chemotherapy again right now as I have the ileostomy bag, which that makes life fun because Zolota gives you diarrhea. Yes. <laughs> so so I'm taking the Zolota, it's giving me diarrhea in the bag, which also causes bag leaks and all that. So it's it's been interesting, but they they really felt like physically I could handle all of this and. And they were telling me that, you know, it's not typical for them to, to, to do both chemo and radiation at the same time for um, the, the rectal cancer. But um, and, uh, but they, they really felt like just I was strong enough to handle it, basically. And it's more of an experimental style. And I even had to sign a form verifying that I understood that it was experimental. Right. We, we joke that sometimes when you go on these protocols, it's like buying a ticket at Great Adventure where... You don't read the back of the ticket, which basically says if you die in the rides, it's your fault. And that's similar to what this process is when you go through some uh, treatments like these. I never thought about it that way, but that's very true. It is very true. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it really is because, well, they told me, and this was in the middle of treatment. Get this. They told me that in in England, um, they did an experiment where they didn't give patients like the weekend break during the chemo radiation together. And some of them, some of it was fatal. Like some of them didn't make it through the treatment. Right. It it wore them out. Yeah. I had to take a week off of work my last week of treatment and, and had to get fluids and everything else because it just, it finally wiped me out by the last week of that, that particular part of the treatment. But they said if, you know, they, they tried doing like no break at all for the whole thing. And yeah, it had some pretty devastating results. So we have um, part of the backbone of stupid cancer is really around how people uh, are are creative and express themselves through their, I hate the word journey, but through the process of going through this nonsense. And um, we have a a, a saying, a phrase that the art of survivorship is how you choose to get busy living. But art is really at the cornerstone of why I started the organization, because everyone is good at something, whether it's playing the radio, haha or being a writer, or a journaling, or, 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 or singing, or dancing, whatever it is. And um, right. I, I was a concert pianist my whole life. I'm still a concert pianist. But you have been drawing and write and, and, and your whole life, yeah. that was your passion. When did you start drawing? I know all your life is like from the age of, like, what, two. But how did this become a yeah. thing of yours? It really became a passion when I was in third grade. Um, and it was something I, um, I honestly, you know, like... Uh, I wasn't raised in a church or anything, but I, I actually, um, for a little while anyway, converted to Christian faith right after, right in the middle of our college and decided to, um, I, I just, there was a, a part of me that wanted to do something to help people. And then at the time, I couldn't figure out how me being an animator, at the time I wanted to be an animator for like Pixar or something like that. And I was on my way to doing that. I was well on my way. I was in the middle of college for it. And then but then I decided I wanted to do something to help people. And uh, so I ended up going into ministry. That didn't work out, and I segued into counseling. And, and then, um, But I returned through the process to my passion. Like art has always been predominantly. It's just I can't escape it, even if I wanted to. It's, it's how I relate to people the best. It's how I communicate all the crazy thoughts in my head all the time. I feel like I have a whole thesis of things, but if I say it in words, it doesn't come out in the way that if I put it in, like, a cartoon or an art form. I feel like that's how it comes out the best for me and it always has it's always how it's connected with people the best and and um i wanted to use this experience of, of having cancer to reach out creatively and use all those gifts that i have to communicate this experience in a way that's hard for people to use the words and, and uh, yeah and you're doing it i mean for, i don't know what kind of feedback you're getting but you are doing it and you kind of sprung onto the twitter scene recently and I, I'm quite yeah. enamored by by what you're writing. It, it's very scathing and very blunt and very to the point and 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 disruptive and obvious. Uh, is this would this be your tone if you weren't sick, or have you always been this sort of this type of of style of, of cartoon? I've always had I've always had a little bit of a scathing sense of humor. I, I just really believe in honesty and and uh, I really believe in just being very you know scathingly honest. I just, I just believe, you know, tell the truth, you know, tell the truth and, and, you know, people, that's what people want to hear. And it's, it's, it's not always benefited me sometimes. I, I actually did a cartoon before this, but did pretty well for a little bit. It was called Bleat. <laughs> it used sheep. And um, this was, uh, I haven't, you know, for the record, I haven't been to church in like six years. So I, I was at the time a little bit raw. And, and, and so I, I tackled topics of faith and, and, 
you know, rel- religious organizations as well as politics and stuff. And I used it using a bunch of sheep <laughs> and it, it worked out really well, but yeah, I, but really after getting sick, really, I felt like after I got diagnosed with this thing, I felt like I had complete permission to be absolutely honest. <laughs> and I just, I'm not afraid. It's almost like the breaking bad, like Walter White thing. I, I get Walter White now. Like I kind of get, I'm not, I don't want to commit crimes or sell meth or anything, but I get, you know, I get just, being absolutely you and, and you only have this one life to live and might as well tell the truth and be you. And so, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was reading your, your, your strips and they're really, really, really well done. Cancer owl.com. I, as a quick sidebar, I'm fairly sure no one had ever thought to register that domain until now. Yeah, I know. I really was actually, I was squinting because I love the name of it. And I was just like, I was like hunting and Googling and seeing if other people were doing cancer comics. As far as I can tell right now, I'm the only game in town. And so that's kind of exciting too, you know, like, and it's like kind of like a space I don't think anybody's really occupied yet. After- so I found that like pretty cool. And yeah, it, absolutely. Cancer Owl is a domain name that was open and I checked and I got lazy and I let him alone for a while. I'm like, shoot, am I gotten taken? Nope. <laughs> and it's open in all of them too, by the way, all the domains. There's no cancer owl whatsoever. No. Yeah. And you'd think after like 25 years of domain re- registrations, they'd all be done every possible word permutation, but you got it. Tell us uh, real quick. Why an owl? Oh yeah. Um, owls have always been my favorite animal. I'm intrigued by those things. Eight eyelids, the way they turn their head around and all that stuff. But um, I, uh, a couple of reasons, like for one, there is my favorite animal. And for one, I felt like I could draw something that I could draw over and over again. When you're a cartoonist, you want to, you want to draw something you feel like you can replicate a lot and draw on different angles with different emotions. And, and an owl is so expressive as well as they're also, you know, owls are like uh, symbols of wisdom, but someone else told me it was actually a cancer patient that wrote me, um, I've been having a lot of cancer patients writing me privately and thanking me for the comic. And uh, one of them wrote me and said, well, did you know that owls are also a sign of good luck? And I was like, yeah, I actually forgot about that. Um, <laughs> so, and also owls are kind of right up there with cats as far as like Google ability. I mean, I, I, this is something I want to get out. You know, I want to spread on the internet. I want people to see. So I'm like, you know, people look at what owls, sloths, cats, like <laughs> You know, it's kind of up there in the right. animal kingdom on the Internet. So that was, you know, I was kind of thinking that way, too. I mean, just on the header of your homepage, if people go to CancerOwl.com, uh, the owl is in a waiting room with some, looks like a little fuzzball. But there's a sign yeah. on the wall that says, Cancer Center, please do not die while waiting. Thank you. And it, yeah. I think that just totally speaks to exactly our attitude. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really wanted to capture, I really want people, well, ultimately I did, I did a comic for me first. If it's not therapeutic for me, then it's not going to be therapeutic for anybody else. Um, and then I do it for my fellow, my fellow survivors and, and, and cancer patients as well. Um, that's for them next. And then after that, I, I hope other people can really benefit. And one of the things I try to do in, in my strips and in, in that header is I try to I try to put people in in my shoes, you know, what, what, like kind of create that emotion and then that feeling. And the little fuzzball, by the way, is my personification of cancer. Ah, okay. Um, he's going to be showing up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, your your strips deal with everything from like the cost of healthcare, like you open the mailbox and a billion, you know, envelopes fly out, to yeah. how <laughs> you know chemo as sort of like this anthrop- anthropomorphic ogre that just squashes you and ruins your weekend. And it's so emblematic and it's so well done. Uh, obviously I could ask you like, where do you draw your inspiration from? Because that's pretty self-evident, but prior yeah. to getting sick, what were your other sources of inspiration? Oh, absolutely. Um, the reason I started cartooning in the first place, other than jealousy of another kid who was better at art than me in, in school, um, it was in the third grade. Like I found I was kind of good, and this other kid was like better, and I just want to get better than him. But I absolutely loved, um, and I did. <laughs> but I, I, uh, I, I, I got um, a hold of. Uh, I just loved Garfield, and then Calvin and Hobbes, and and I just, I loved um, 
I love the tension that Garfield creates in, in the comics. I always have. I always loved the attitude that Garfield had. So well, Garfield's attitude and, and just sort of like, yeah, screw you sort of thing. <laughs> you know, like I loved it as a kid. There was just something bold and, and brassy about Garfield I always loved. And, and um, especially the old comics. Those were my favorites, like the early 80s ones. And um, then uh, Calvin and Hobbes, just the artistry, the storytelling. And I loved how Calvin and Hobbes, like Calvin just, like, you know, how Bill Watterson, the creator, would just create these worlds that, you know, Calvin put himself in. And I just, that really inspired me as well. Of course, Maurice Sendak, the huge one, The Giving Trees, my favorite children's book ever, and that really inspired me. And they're just so honest. In fact, Maurice Sendak once said, he said, you know, he says, you know, tell them whatever you want, basically referring to children, you know, tell the truth. And it felt like all of it's so truthful and honest that I think that's what I really connected to. And, uh, but there's a plethora of other artists I could go on forever. <laughs> sure. I, I, I think there's a Bill Watterson documentary coming out soon, isn't there? It came out a while ago. Oh, it did. It's called um, Dear Dear Mr. Watterson. And also there's a, a, a better one than that, though, because I, I watched both. And a better one than that was um, called Stripped. You can watch about the, the process and inspiration that all the different artists do. And there's actually an interview with Bill Watterson. It's a phone interview, but they you can actually – it's probably the most recent interview he's done in decades. Yeah, he's been very reclusive all these years. He's kind of a, a mystery human being. Very mysterious, but very, very, very honest in the work he does. Like, he's he's all about the craft. And that's why, like, comic nerds love him. <laughs> Other people are like, yeah, I have all these great memories of being a kid reading them, but, like, people are into, like, comic art. He's like, we hold him up at such a high esteem because he just, you know, never sold out to the man, you know, and that right. sort of thing. And exactly. He just always told the truth. And when, when he started to feel that Calvin and Hobbes was, was becoming – you know, was he was under too much pressure to to merchandise and do all that. He he, you know, he backed out. He's like, I'm done. I think I can do everything I could do with this strip, and we're done. <laughs> it's pretty ballsy. Yeah, I thought it was pretty awesome. Yeah, no, it's it's clear you are incredibly passionate about this, and I I completely I get that entirely. I I wanted to ask you just one or two more questions because we're running out of time. Sure. Uh, it, your work with at risk youth that has been your your primary profession for the last couple of years, correct? Yeah, yeah, um, over a decade, really. I mean, if I catalog back to when I first started working with teens in uh, the late 90s, yeah, I mean, it's been, I've been, been working with at-risk youth at some level um, for you know, about 15 years, um, and then mostly, uh, um, but mostly about a strong decade doing, you know, therapy and counseling with at-risk youth. Has doing that in any way prepared you more for something like this situation? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, just the, uh, the importance of therapy in strong situations and, and finding your own form of therapy and um, seeing how art really connected with other kids, even kids that didn't like, say they liked art <laughs> and how it connects with them. Um, this work, uh, you know, the work I've done with at-risk youth, about, you know, I ask, I ask them all the time when they come to see me, you know, to be honest or to reach inside their gut to find, find how it is they really feel about a situation. And I've made it my own practice. I, I believe if you're going to teach something, you better do it yourself. So, yeah, I mean, watching the teens go through rougher times than I've ever gone through and, and, and come out on the other side and use art, use creativity, find their own strengths. I mean, that, that certainly has inspired me a lot and taught me a lot about, you know, getting through hard times. And also the work I do, I, I like to model a positive attitude. So I like to, you know, through this whole thing, people are like, wow, I can't believe you, you know, had such a strong attitude. And, and uh, but I like to, I like to model it for the, you know, like to model it for, for those that I, I uh, serve. Well, 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 you answered my second question in answering my first question, which was, what is your <laughs> message to people like you? But clearly, it's out there. It's stay true to yourself. Stay connected to things that are important. Find your anchor. Get therapy. It's such this unspoken opportunity. Sometimes people aren't even aware that there's therapy as an option. And it could even be free within your cancer center, let alone something that may be even available through your insurance. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very, at first my insurance was awful. Um, the, the first one I had, I was able to switch over something that's actually paying for stuff, but whew, for a little bit, it was scary, but yeah, I'm, I absolutely, I, I believe in getting all the help and support you can get. And, and also I think in dealing with things, one thing I learned from therapy as well of doing therapy is that you got to stop treating a problem like it's a bad word. And you know, I, I feel like so many people I've been saying lately, I'm like, I really wish cancer could be less of a C word because I'm like, it's not helping anybody to be closed mouthed about it. I mean, I bring up cancer and automatically people look at me like I'm, I'm dead. Right. You know, I'm like, you know, rather than like looking at the whole thing honestly and, and, you know, and it just really bothers me how closed lipped people are. And I was too. I mean, I was a part of that group. I got real nervous when I heard that word and, and had a lot of misinformation. So I'm I'm so glad with what stupid cancer is doing. It's you know, it's great getting to talk with you about all that because yeah, I think cancer should definitely be less of a C word. And you know, as for any challenge we have in life, we need to stop making it, you know, a bad word. I couldn't agree with you more. Matthew Paul Muhorter is the uh young adult survivor of stage two uh, colorectal cancer artist, former pastor, I just like that part of you. Uh and he's the uh, man behind CancerOwl.com on Twitter at CancerOwl. A funny, raw, honest webcomic. I got to tell you guys, check this out, uh, CancerOwl.com. Matt, thanks so much. Good luck, and I hope we'll talk soon. I'll see you on Twitter. Yeah, it sounds wonderful. Look forward to talking with you soon again. Have a good one. All right, bye. Bye-bye. All right, Kenny. And now the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org. Your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events. Nationwide, something could be happening in your neck of the woods. And we certainly don't want you to sing out. All right, a couple of meetups happening in Denver, Colorado, Des Moines, Iowa, San Francisco, California, Rochester, New York, Clifton, New Jersey. If you'd like to host a meetup, visit stupidcancer.org forward slash meetup. Cancer is lonely. we got a cure for that. We are talking about Instapeer, our new mobile app that brings instant anonymous peer support to anyone affected by cancer. Available now for download in the App Store for iOS and Google Play most Android devices. It is time. Instapeer.org. We launched a newsfeed aggregator on Tumblr for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7, and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at stupidcancer.org forward slash feed. Cancer is expensive. We're proud to announce CancerMadeMeBroke.com, a national partnership with Give Forward, the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser. You didn't ask get sick, and your community wants to help. Visit CancerMadeMeBroke.com to learn more and start your personal fundraiser today. It's always a good time to stock up on Stupid Cancer Gear. Visit stupidcancerstore.org anytime. And check out our new designs as well as our $10 clearance section. That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear Stupid Cancer. And that, that is your Stupid, stupid cancer, cancer News. Joining us now, Marlena Ortiz, a committed uh, young adult breast cancer survivor, changing the face of the disease by establishing her own charity called Beating Cancer in Heels. In 2010, she launched this with the dedication to the empowerment of young women diagnosed with cancer. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Marlena Ortiz. Marlena. Hi. Welcome aboard the party train. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. You no, know, we, we like to see when uh, young adults take the initiative to really take an active role in giving back. Our whole mantra is to pay it forward. And I think yeah. you are a good example of that. Oh, thank you. I'm trying. <laughs> yes. And we had the pleasure of meeting recently at the uh, I Had Cancer uh, reunion, right? Yes. And I had a lot of fun. It was great. And I was so happy to see you. I've been wanting to talk to you for so long. So when I saw you, I'm like, yes, I have to go talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, breast cancer gets a bad rap because people are sick of pink. I, I, I think you are sort of on that boat. You don't really reek of anything that is egregiously yeah. breast cancer and yeah, I, I think yeah. that's something that's a lot of pride around that you, yeah sorry <laughs> it's good it, it um you know 
it's well, you know, I guess it, it, it made its point, right? And so now it's just so much, and, it, and it's a lot. And But kind of what bothered me, I, I mean, I've always liked pink, the color, uh, more fuchsia, but right. um, what bothered me, I guess, uh, when I was going through this, one of the things that bothered me was it didn't matter to me what type of cancer you had, where it was. You know, it was that we were in this together, in this suffering from this disease. And so uh, I couldn't believe there were so many organizations that just catered to one uh, cancer. And I just felt like, wow, you know, what if I had this other cancer? Could I not get the support? Or, And so, you know, when I decided to come up with this logo, um, one on, on the ribbon or, you know, the piece of ribbon, it's not shaped in that way, uh, is purple for all cancers, you know, that lavender color. Um, because I wanted to make sure that people knew that it didn't matter what type of cancer it was, um, is that we understood, you know. And so, yeah, it, it became too much. I, I got so many ribbons and pink stuff. It was just crazy. <laughs> right. So let's, I like to, you know, when there's a young adult uh, survivor on the show, I really like them to go over the origin story of their initial diagnosis because everyone is different. But there are all these incredible trends across everyone's story that are very similar. And, right. um, you know, things about like a, not being ha- able to find the right doctor or not being taken seriously. Or, you know, in your case, if there are self-exams, who takes you seriously? Who do you go to when there's a problem? Finding peer support. Who's going to look at you that you're not 80 years old with breast cancer? Those types of stories. So you were you were a little pup, 25 years old when you are diagnosed. I know. Was a baby, <laughs> so young, so young. Uh, uh, yeah, and so um, I, I got, I had this lump um, for, oh, I don't know, a couple of years prior to that. I did get breast implants just because I wanted bigger boobs, right? How ironic. And um, so after the surgery, there was a lump there, and the doctors, you know, years after, looked at it, and you know, one said it was a swollen lymph node, the other said it was a fibroid. Stop drinking coffee. And, you know, I never thought of anything. I, my, I looked at doctors as angels. I mean, they could do no wrong, right? Who was I to question? And so finally, uh, I think I went to the, another doctor, and I, I went there for a cold, and I said, well, I'm in here. Can you just, you know, look at this, second opinion, right? And I didn't connect the dots previously um, because, again, I was never thinking of cancer, never had a family history, never talked of the word. It was just never a thought in my mind. Um, you know, and from there, boom, he gave me sonogram, you know, biopsy, lumpectomy, boom, 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 cancer 25. What? What? Did you, what, what did you just say? Um, and, uh, and it's been quite the roller coaster since. I mean, I was, uh, you know, at the time of my life, you know, I was really felt on top of the world. I was living on my own and working and just feeling so empowered by this time, right? 25. Yay, made it, right? And then I got hit with cancer. And so when the doctor told me in front of my parents, um, I said, oh, gosh, you know, I have, to, I have to beat this. I'll do this, right? I have to. Look at their faces. I got to do it. But when he said I was going to lose my hair, I said, oh, no, no, wait a minute. <laughs> what? And that was really hard for me. You know, I, I think that I was – I'm a very strong person. Uh, I've been, you know, raised by survivors, right? Um, um, and um, – but when it came to that part and just being young and, and having to lose my hair, now you're going to see cancer. Now it's really going to hit you. Right. And so that's where the, the struggle and kind of the reality started to, to come about, you know. Um, and, you know, so from there, uh, you know, I started the chemotherapy and the radiation. And, and through this process, I reached out for support from other survivors. And when I explained how upset I was about my hair, you know, one survivor said, oh, don't worry, it'll grow back. And I was so upset that she was minimizing right. the feeling, mm-hmm. you know, because I was looking at her as my angel of, of hope, right? Um, because, you know, the time your mind plays, you know, ah! <laughs> and, um, you know, and I said, oh, my gosh, you know, and now I was feeling bad about feeling this way. And so I would talk to other people in passing and other girls going through it, and I would express it to them. And they said, oh, my God, I feel the same way, but I felt guilty and I didn't want to talk about it. And, and I said, oh, boy, we need to talk about this. This needs to happen because, you know, this is a part of your life. And you're young and you thought it was going to go this way, and now it's going that way. And, you know, when you think of cancer, you think of losing the hair and then, you, you know, the skin and da 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 and being sick. And so um, at the time I said, you know what, I'm going to be the change that I want to see because I didn't find her, right? I didn't find this person I was looking for. And I said, I'm going to beat cancer in heels. And so I went to all my treatments, and I wore high heels, and my hair, uh, I wore the head wrap, you know, in a really cool, funky way. 
And uh, I was probably like the most annoying person in there. I'm like, you know, clock, 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 clock with my shoes. Um, and I would write funny sayings on them. But it was my way of keeping my sense of self, you know. And so I think that's, you know, what I try to deliver, this message of, you know, keeping your sense of self while you're going through this, whatever it is. You know, it doesn't have to be shoes, obviously, but for me it was. And, and that was really important because that gave me courage and strength and hope. And it gave me a sense of normalcy with all this change. You know? What were you um, doing as a career uh, at 25 years old? And, and did this completely destroy or interrupt that? And what are you up to now besides the charity, if not just that? Yeah. And so, um, so I was a marketing manager, um, for a company and, uh, out in the city, but I just started there. I was probably a couple of months in. And so, uh, you know, obviously health insurance is the issue, right? Um, and so I, I had to leave my job, you know, so I, everything from moving back home, um, you know, so leaving the beautiful apartment that I was in, I had to go back home. So life really went backwards for me. Um, and so I had a lot of time to think and process and, you know, and I deal with my own anxieties, right? And so it just, it was, it was a lot. Um, and so now I, then I went and I got certified at NYU to become a life coach and I work for a wellness center online. Um, I do virtual coaching, which is really cool. And, uh, and I work on this. Um, yeah, and I merchandise for a store actually that um, is a nonprofit in itself for children with chronic illness. So um yeah, so that's kind of what I've been doing. <laughs> so during the course of your uh, diagnosis, we'll call it the comedy of terrors, so to speak, was there any conversation about your fertility? Oh, yeah. So there was a little conversation. I felt like it could be more. It was a lot going on. It's a lot to process. You know, I mean, one minute you're, oh, my God, am I going to live? But now I've got to decide if I want to preserve eggs and talk about that, you know, and then, you know, the finances behind it. Uh, I think more needs to be talked about. You know, I think that someone should kind of sit with you for an hour, if not more. Right. And really kind of get into that part. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe times have changed. Again, it's been six years since this. But, um, but yeah, I felt like more should have been talked about. And that's pretty heavy, especially, you know, again, at that time where, People are getting married and having babies, you know? Right. But yeah, when you're it. not 80 years and, old. Uh, it was overwhelming. So you mentioned before that uh, you had said something to a, uh, another survivor about losing your hair, and she, mm -hmm. she didn't give you the response you were hoping for. What could she have said that would have made it better? I know. That's I it. I understand. Right. That's it. It's just that simple. You know, there's a process, right? And you've got to grieve and you've got to talk about it and then you've got to try to move forward. And you can't rush that process, right? I mean, it's six years later, I still have to wear extensions. I mean, uh, you know, because of the tamoxifen I'm on, I have thinning hair. And so it's still an issue for me. Um, is, is it going to, you know, ruin my day? No. Does it make me upset sometimes? Yes. Do I learn to cope with it and come, you know, and, and deal with it? Of course. Um, but there needs to be more empathy because you can't fast forward. I know this now, but someone who's shaving their hair in the, in the moment or who's going to does not understand that, and nor do they have to. It's a process to go through, you know, and, and, and to get through that and empower yourself. Um, but it shouldn't be rushed in two seconds, if that makes sense. If I can ask, we do a lot of work in what, you know, they say disparity groups. I don't like to use that phrase because it really paints mm -hmm. a, a negative picture. But as a Latina woman, have you experienced any cultural differences in appreciating cancer with your friends, with your family, uh, in terms of perception and attitude? No, no. And and I have, you know, I coach a bunch of girls from all different nationalities, and I don't know. For me, I don't see a difference. It doesn't matter to me. I, I didn't feel any differently. Um, so I'm going to say no. <laughs> no, that's that's a good answer because that's yeah. that's a. It's a very different answer than what you're used to getting over the years, where it's becoming, I would say, normalized as much as normalized can mean normalized right. in that sense, where we're not seeing those types of things to be triggered nearly as much. Um, I, I mean, you're 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 very well spoken, clearly, and congratulations on your pathway to becoming a uh, a coach. That's very exciting. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, clearly, we are doing things that we didn't plan to do when we're making the most of bad situations. Uh, right. What do you specifically hope to gain by being a coach? And, and what is this specific? Because we can, it's very easy to say what's your message to people like you, but when they're in that crisis moment when 
life goes all Charlie Brown teacher on you and nothing makes any sense. Who is that person? And if that person is you, what role is that when you step in at that that incredible moment of crisis? You know, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I I think, you know, and, and I ask these girls, you know, or they tell me, you know, and so because I, I want to know kind of what's, what am I doing for them, even though I see it, but I want the feedback. And, it, and it's been, you know, I'm someone who understands, right? So I've been through this. Um, and, and obviously I have the credentials behind it, but I guess why I wanted to do this is what I loved about coaching is that it focuses in on the present and the future. So I'm here to talk about what's happening right now and how could we get through the next step, whatever it is, right? Because you can get to the next step and it could be the tiniest little, little step, but you can get to it. And sometimes it feels like you can and it's overwhelming and you just can't see your way through. And, um, and I'm here to kind of to pull you towards that direction we with talk, your permission. No, and, and that is exactly what people need. They need that permission to accept that right. this is what they're going through and to trust. Um, we, right. we affectionately call the window between when you're diagnosed and when things start to figure out what they're going to be, the oh shit window. And right. that's when, I mean, I know I could speak for myself, that's when my dad and I could have used somebody to step in and navigate us through the process that we could have trusted we didn't have that, but that was 20 years ago, and a lot of people right. don't have that even today. So who better to step into that window with you than someone who's been there and done that? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I I, I'm, I would have been open to it had I seen it, you know, but um, this was, you know, years ago. I don't know, Instagram wasn't even there, and, you know, but right. I was barely on Facebook. It was just a little different of a time, you know, so what was suggested to me was a therapist, and, and I tried it, but, you know, the therapist was a little older than me. I mean, and I just, I needed to relate to her. You know, I didn't care what college she went to. It wasn't about that, and I'm not, not taking away her credibility, but in that moment, I needed to speak to somebody who has been through this, you know, and, and that was really it, you know? Um, but for me, I, I spoke to someone who went through this, but then they didn't say the right thing. Right. Um, and so, you know, I'm here saying, okay, we can talk about this, but let me guide you through what you want to go through. It's not my agenda. It's the person's agenda, you know, and, and I'm here to kind of navigate, like you said, right, you know, or coach, um, you know, their way through it. But, yeah, yeah, because it's a lot, and there's a lot of things that, that happen, and you're not prepared. It doesn't, it doesn't come in a book, right? And right. there's uh, different turns. And so it's nice to have someone there um, that you can talk to who's neutral and who understands on, on a deep level you know, um, how this, to get you through, this, this attitude of staying true to yourself through this process and kind of doubling down on your reality echoes – of my friend Geraldine Lucas back in the day. Uh, she was diagnosed with breast cancer in the late 90s and wrote a book called Why I Wore Lipstick to My Mastectomy. Yeah, uh-huh, and very cool. It's yep. just a very in-your-face attitude mm-hmm. towards I'm going to stay me, and she actually did wear lipstick. They said no makeup in the OR. She's like, you know, go to hell. I'm wearing lipstick right, during, right. during the procedure. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this idea of, you know, cancer and heels, you're staying true to yourself. Uh, is there something about the heels that that keeps the femininity? Because you can lose so much of your sexual identity, just your general identity, going through this yeah. process. Um, you know, I don't know. Um, for me, I just wore heels my entire life. I'm five one, so maybe it was a height thing. I just loved uh, how stronger I felt and taller and empowered in general. And so when this happened. I don't know, maybe I visualized myself kind of not doing these normal things, not putting the shoes on, not putting the makeup. I didn't have the hair to go with it, right? And so uh, for me, it just was, was saying I'm here, you know, and I'm myself as, as much as myself can be while things are changing. I mean, I brought them, my mom, I remember I, I caught a fever. I was in the hospital for five days, and I was terrified, you know, be, having cancer and being in the hospital. And so she said, what do you want? What do you need to bring? I'm like, bring my shoes, bring my shoes. Right. And she came and brought them, and doctors are coming in to see me because they thought it was hilarious. Um, and I enjoyed every second of it because it just, it made me laugh. You know, I understood how silly it was, um, but it was a silly for me that I needed, you know, and, um, and it was a great moment in, in that, that, uh, that really dark time, you know. Well, we have about five minutes left, and I want to get into the charity. First and foremost, what made you feel like you needed to start a charity? 
you know, it's funny because when I started this, I just started saying I, I wanted to do something that, that empowered women. And at first I was like, oh, let me give them gifts and I'll put it in a box. And, you know, they got I didn't because they had Fighting Pretty, which actually does that. You right. know? So that, that idea didn't even leave my door. So um, I noticed that I was connecting with women through my blog. And then when I met them in person, they said, I've got to implement something. And then I heard about coaching. And then I said, I have to do this. Um, and I didn't want to charge for this, right? Um, and uh, I just wanted to get more people involved and spread awareness in that way um, because I, I felt that I could, one, do this, and two, that it was needed. So, um, And so that's, that's how that came to be. And it's been quite the process since. <laughs> so what is your, if you could, like your elevator pitch, what's your specific mission? What do you hope to achieve through the charity work? Yeah, so it's empowering women, you know, to, to live life and feel beautiful while fighting cancer. Um, and so, and that's really it. And, you know, we do this through coaching. We do this through Girls Night Out. And we do this through beauty workshops because, you know, someone, you know, they have programs and here's the makeup, but it's not about the makeup. It's about how I'm feeling right now. It's about what's going on as I'm drawing in my eyebrows. What's going on as I'm putting on this wig you know, I'm going to have a breakdown moment here, and that's okay, and it's normal, but let's talk about it. Um, and so so that's what we are doing and are trying to do um, for these women because this is a lot that goes on internally. And, and as much as we can put on ourselves, we need to talk about what's going on on the inside. So, um, and, you know, when you're at that young, delicate age where you thought it was going to go one way and it didn't and you got a whole other life to live, and you've been woken up to this reality of life that's heavy, you know, yep. um, you know, it's it can you can use it to your advantage. Right. But you got to we're going to teach you how, you know, I think that you if you have a hashtag, it's going to be find the fashionista within. <laughs> I absolutely oh, love that line in your bio here. That sums it up entirely. Be yourself. Stay true to yourself. Stay connected. Uh, Marlena Ortiz is a young adult breast cancer survivor. She is the founder of Beating Cancer in Heels online at beatingcancerinheels.org. Uh, Marlena, Brooklyn is better for you. Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> All righty. And now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. The 354th episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. We hope you had as much fun as we did. Poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. If you haven't already, visit stupidcancershow.org. Never miss an episode by signing up for our newsletter and subscribing to the free podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Blog Talk Radio. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Coming to you from the chemo deck. And on behalf of myself, Kenny Kane, Mallory Rivera, Sean Shapiro, and Noel Wimmer, thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next broadcast of The Stupid Cancer Show. Goodbye, folks. Imagine having it in college with so much on your